Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We are your hosts, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we seek to answer the age-old question, should Christians counsel gays to straighten up and marry a member of the opposite sex? So we're doing this particular episode uh, because I don't, I don't know if any of you guys listening have heard this, but there's actually been a bill passed recently up in our country to the north, Canada, they passed a bill recently that's focused a lot around uh, homosexuality and how people can interact with with homosexuals. And so, Tim, could you just kind of explain uh, for a moment what exactly this bill is, what it means, what's going on with it, and and uh, what it will mean for Christ- the Christian church in the upcoming near future? Yeah, sure. So this uh, bill, uh, C four bill, that was passed in Canada, it was it was essentially passed unanimously, and it's a bill that essentially is criminalizing any uh, attempt to change a homosexual's uh, quote unquote um, orientation. So it's a bill that basically criminalizes any attempt to do so in a way that's pretty thoughtless. I mean, I I, I think um, there's. Um, you know, attempts, psychological attempts to change. There, there has been historically attempts to change a person's orientation as far as that goes through, you know, electroshock shock therapy and crazy things along those lines. So there's plenty of psychological attempts to do um, to do that that um, do are cruel in certain ways and unhelpful and ineffective to actually deal with the problems. But basically any attempt to do so, uh, whether it's through Christian counseling, uh, and, and this is not even criminalizing un, like un, an unwilling person, like a person who is uh, being forced, you know, to change their <laughs> orientation against their will. This this is outlawing any, like basically any help that you might provide anyone who comes to you asking you for help in dealing with this in any kind of context. And so it's a pretty sloppy bill. But this is uh, this is something that's been happening for a while now, and. Um, just to say a few comments about it as it relates to the Christian world in general. Uh, it seems like, um, you know, big evangelicalism, the Christian world has basically um, been 
you know, adopted all the secular assumptions as far as this goes. And so there's a lot that we could talk about along these lines. But uh, for a while now, all the, you know, main um, individuals who are speaking to the issue of reparative therapy or gay conversion uh, therapy as far as that goes, uh, most of those have been ex-gays uh, or lesbians. So I'm thinking in particular of Rosaria Butterfield or Jackie Hill Perry or Sam Albury. Uh, those are um, individuals who are being promoted. Uh, and, and you know, any kind of um, – they, they would label in one way or the another an attempt to change a person's orientation um, as – uh, basically a heresy. So they talk about the heresy of reparative therapy or conversion therapy. And so the evangelical world and the Christian world uh, are the evangelical world and the secular world are all kind of united in this quest to uh, either outlaw gay conversion therapy, therapy or label it a heresy or uh, speak against it in the strongest terms uh, possible. And, and I would say that, um, you, you know, it seems that uh, – Europe and Canada are one, you know, stage further than we are in in basically all of these issues. And so, if Christians don't uh, unite and take a stand and repent of the errors that we need to repent of, it it seems safe to assume that you know this is where we're headed. Now, I, I think there are some signs of life in America that basically there is some pushback over here that may or may not prove to be effective. There's plenty of people, you know, soccer moms now storming the gates against <laughs> critical theory and things soccer like that. Soccer moms lead the way. This <laughs> is leading the way, you know, as sad, sad as that is, uh, that that's where the resistance is coming from. But there is some resistance here, and I, I am hopeful that perhaps our nation will wake up and um, – and would not go the way of Canada or Europe, but these things are distressing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the bill, the bill is basically, you know, the it's labeled as a bill that is meant to outlaw conversion therapy. But then the problem is, if you read this bill, the definitions are so vague that really, what it it effectively is a tool that could be used to outlaw really any kind of pushback against homosexuality is that that's right yeah i mean even even at the sermon level or something like that you know any any attempt in any way to basically speak to a biblical position on sexual immorality is going to be lumped in under the same kind of category right and so effectively what's what's going to happen is now in canada you have a legitimate uh bill put forth by the government that nobody opposed in terms of you know the politicians who are given a vote to this thing, no no one uh, no one opposed it, and so now what's going to happen is you're going to have uh, you're essentially what you're doing is you're outlawing the Bible. Is is that fair? To say, is yeah, that fair I mean, to say? particularly as it relates to that one subject, sure, as is. Uh you know, now labeled illegal to speak on that, and so you had a lot of uh, a lot of Canadian pastors who were reaching out to American pastors, essentially asking uh, everyone on the 16th, which is next Sunday, to um, basically preach a sermon on uh, the Bible's position on a homosexual orientation and uh, the biblical admonition to change, as far as that goes, and so. Uh, basically, uh, you have some influential pastors down there, James Coates, um, I think Joe Boot, Dr. Joe Boot, who are, and, and others who are basically encouraged, basically going to defy that law 
the the Sunday after it's passed or goes into uh, goes into effect essentially, and then a lot of American pastors are asked to join in on that, just to basically uh, support them and what they're doing, and then also basically to um, start uh, establish a precedent of resistance even here before it happens to go that way, assuming that it may, which seems likely it will, but unless the Lord's at work. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, this is a very concerning, um, you know, event that's going on right now. And, and it's not really surprising if you've been paying attention to the way everything's been going in the Western world the last, for I mean, I guess for me the last two years or so, but really probably much longer than that. But essentially this is our, um, we wanted to do this episode, uh, to, to be a, a, a part of that, to, you know, speak out in the way that we can against homosexuality, knowing um, what the Bible has to say about it in light of this bill, which is essentially, um, you know, banning the Bible's view on, uh, you know, the family, on uh, sex, you know, all, all of these things that are really kind of uh, foundational to pretty much everything, uh, every aspect of life, you know, I mean, the family is foundational right. to these things. And so this is our, this was, this is our, um, effort to, you know, be a part of that and speak out against it. So we have a lot of questions to go through. I, I don't, I don't know that we'll make it through all of them, but I, I really want to get through a lot of these because I think that they'll be, uh, really helpful for people. So I guess, um, uh, you know, where we'll start first is simply just to ask, obviously there are a lot of people who disagree with us when it comes to homosexuality, when it comes to same sex attraction, uh, they really don't even understand why we so staunchly disagree with them and, and why we won't just go away on this topic, or at least some, some Christians won't. I, th- I think some have already, you know, they've already given up on, on this stance, but, Thankfully, there's still there's still some who refuse to move from this. But Tim, could you just start out by explaining to us uh, why exactly is this such an important topic? Why? I mean, essentially, a lot of people are just going to say, "Hey, look, love is love, right? Why are you against uh, this type of love just because it's not the way that you love someone?" So, Tim, I guess could you just start there and explain for our listeners why exactly it is that we refuse to um, that we refuse to say no, that this is just another innocent form of of uh, love that's just different um, from the way that you, you and I would. Yeah, are you asking um, related to homosexual love in general, or are you asking uh, related to uh, you know homosexual quote unquote love in general? Are you talking about um, reparative therapy? In general, why would we push back? Are you talking about um, like a homosexual orientation? Which, which where do you want to? Yeah, I guess I guess let's just start. Just with, push back on the. Go ahead. I, I guess let's just start with uh, homosexual love in general, and and kind of work our way to the uh, the reparative therapy aspect of it because I I do have some questions related to that, but it might be nice to have a bit of this of this background uh, to kind of build on. On. Yeah, sure. So uh, the the world's definition of love is is, is certainly um, 
what we've described in different podcasts as uh, universal positive regard. So the world demands that um, basically in order to love someone, you praise them no matter what they do, right? So you have to you have to tell them they're wonderful. You have to tell them that they're special. And then you basically just have to give them what they want, right? Uh, so <laughs> related to the fast shaming episode that we did, uh, <laughs> that one, love in a, that one was very loving. Ahead. They're very loving, yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. Uh, but uh, love, you know, so love in the way that the world understands it is giving the six hundred pound person, you know, as many pizzas as they want. It's basically giving the person what they want. But then, you know, if you think about love from a biblical worldview, there's obviously things that a person can engage in which are harmful for them. And that uh, don't need to be praised if, as far as that goes. And so a biblical definition of love is not just going to mindlessly praise whatever a person happens to choose in terms of their actions, their attitudes, their identity, or whatever else. Uh, a biblical view of love is going to be informed by what is helpful to that individual, right? So uh, there are things that we can praise and there are things that we can't praise. And there are things that we should support and there are things that we can't uh, Support and homosexual love, if you, as far as that goes, is an example of something that the Bible speaks of as a sin, and everything the Bible describes as a sin are destructive to, in one way or another. And you know whether or not you realize all the ways in which um, a vice in the scriptures is destructive it is irrelevant. God's smarter than us; He knows better than us how He's made the world and. Uh, you know, homosexual love, as far as that goes, uh, an attempt to find some sort of companionship between members of the same, uh, you know, ultimate uh, intimate companionship among uh, members of the same uh, sex is a fruitless enterprise. And I mean that literally is fruitless, meaning, you know, if you engage in that, you're opening yourself up to certain forms of disease. You're rejecting um, the um, purpose for which God made you. God, God created man. He put him in a garden. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You can't, you know, fill the earth full of people um, if you engage in a same-sex relate. Uh, relationship it's not productive as far as that goes it's it leads you to feed your selfishness in certain ways and so god's designed marriage to be uh, an intimate form of companionship that puts two different types of creatures together uh, man and female um, in order to help them to grow and to be sanctified and, and to be less selfish and so uh, same-sex relationships fundamentally feed selfishness it doesn't push you in the ways that they should push you uh, there's disruptive and societal consequences to this sort of thing. Uh, it is a perversion in the language of Scripture, and um, and it's something that we shouldn't praise. And so, uh, so th- those are just some short answers to the question of why uh, a Christian might push back against the idea of homosexual love. Okay, well, I think you know that's that's a helpful response in terms of why is this such an important topic that we need to constantly, uh, you know bring it up and explain why homosexuality is wrong and why we can't just uh, go away on this topic, why we can't just, you know, um, uh, be silent and, and let people just do whatever they want unchecked when it comes to homosexuality. So in light of this, now, now kind of going back to the reparative therapy, uh, com- the conversion therapy bill and up in Canada, obviously this bill is essentially outlawing any kind of pushback against homosexuality. That's how vague the definition of conversion therapy is in the bill. So, you know, 
uh, I guess now kind of, kind of answer the, the same question, but with conversion therapy, you know, like it, well, maybe not the same question, but more just ask or answer the, answer the question. Why is it that Christians not only have to think that homosexuality is wrong, that homosexuality is evil, but they have to constantly keep telling everyone it's wrong. Uh, even when the majority of society at this point, um, you know, accepts homosexuality for what it is and and isn't really going to push back against it. Why is it that Christians have to keep uh, essentially, you know, opening our big fat mouths and saying, hey, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You need to turn away from this. Why, why exactly is that uh, so crucial for us? Yeah, so, um, you know, Part, uh, part of the discussion is related to what, what, you know, what, what are Christians actually pushing back on? So um, there, there's plenty of discussion and debate on that very point. So are we pushing back on the act of, you know, sodomy itself or the act of gay marriage itself? Or are we pushing back on the idea of an, a gay orientation? Uh, what, what did you have in mind for this um, line of thinking? Are you talking about just why, why are we pushing back on um the actions itself, like gay marriage or you know sodomy or those kind of things, are we pushing back on the orientation and trying to change the orientation? What do you have in mind? Uh, really, both. I think it's. I think oh. it's both. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. So. Um, Obviously, so one of the things we talked about before is there's the issue of love that's involved. So you have a certain definition of love that is being redefined. So um, I think most people understand and are very aware that there are practices which are harmful to individuals. So related to a subject like pedophilia, uh, we still live in a world which strangely thinks that pedophilia is wrong. And I say that it's strange because we've like adopted every other form of sexual immorality as if it's normative, but still we're holding on to pedophilia as being abnormal. But then, you know, attempts to uh, try to change a person's, you know, orientations towards pedophilia, we, we haven't gotten to a point to where um, that's considered to be criminal or a crime or anything else. And so that's strangely put in some other category. But then if you could think about that subject for, for, for a minute, you would realize that, hey, it, wouldn't it be better for kids <laughs> who are being abused by, by uh, perverts? Wouldn't it be better for them to, to try to criminalize or outlaw or uh, push back against pedophilia? Well, sure, you know. Uh, related to bestiality, wouldn't it be better to try for the animals, you know, since we love animals so much? Wouldn't it be better for the animals to try to um, push back against the idea of bestiality to some degree because, you know, an animal can't consent and all that and and we have to protect the animals? And so wouldn't that be better to, to try to do that? Well, we know that it would, but then with the idea of homosexuality, because it's consenting adults, this idea of consent being, con- you know, uh, having adults consent to a particular act, that's, you know, considered the, the the linchpin of the moral arrangement, but we don't think, we don't have any thought about all the destructive things that actually come from that. So, so part of it, you know, if, if you're thinking about it on a practical level, there are, there is actual harm that comes from homosexual relationships. Uh, there is actual harm, um, 
the tangible harm that we could talk about at great length. But I think the more fundamental issue is that God has made man. He's created him with a purpose and you know, that purpose needs to be fulfilled. And so uh, God is the primary one who is sinned against when it comes to uh, the issue of sodomy or, can, uh, um, or homosexuality. God's the primary one who has sinned against and his is his world and we are his creatures and he has made us and and if we're Christians we ought we ought to be advocating for his purposes and advocating for his glory and seeking his honor and following his rules and so he's the one we're primarily concerned about not people and so it's it's you know God's made us and he's described the church as responsible to be salt and light in the midst of a fallen world and so that's part of our responsibility in this world is to to be an agent of uh, preservation in the midst of a fallen world. And if we, you know, if we don't want to engage in that battle, then, you know, we we essentially are going to be uh, unfaithful to his purposes. And, you know, and typically as the church goes, society goes. And so um, the more that we, you know, refuse to push back against these things, the more, you know, I don't, not only societal consequences you'll see, but the more judgment of God that you'll see that we actually experience. And so, you know, as you read through um, Romans 1, you see that uh, when God gives a society over to homosexuality, not only are there human consequences that come from uh, that deviant form of uh, sexual immorality uh, that are many. I mean, there are many uh, consequences that come from that, but also God's active judgment is going to be uh, – well, God's active judgment is visited in itself on a society engaging in uh, those kind of behaviors and attitudes and actions. But then, uh, then you know, eventually when he's had enough and the iniquity of a society is complete, God will come in judgment against that society too. So there's, I guess there's, there's a lot of reasons why we have to clearly and faithfully and forcefully speak against these things. Uh, but not only that, I mean, if you love people, you know, the Bible says that neither fornicators nor idolaters nor effeminate or homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, if you love people, this is the kind of thing that uh, God categorically puts in the same category as, uh, you know, fornicators, idolaters, effeminate, homosexual, murderers, thieves. Uh, you know, these these are things that if uh, engaged in in an unrepentant way will bar people from entrance into God's kingdom at the end. You mentioned... Um, in your response, you mentioned essentially by neglecting to speak out against homosexuality and condemn it, what will happen is uh, essentially society will suffer for a few different reasons. And, um, you know, whether it be God's judgment or just the inherent evilness um, of homosexuality, uh, much, you know, much like if you know if, if no one ever spoke out against murder and then everyone just started murdering obviously that society with no punishment you know for the murder then obviously that society is is going to suffer and homose- homosexuality is no different but i but i have seen a lot of people essentially um you know come back and say well hey you know what i've actually seen more harm caused uh by Christians trying to, you know, tell gay people to stop being so gay. Um, I've, I've seen more harm come from that than good. And, and more specifically, you know, uh, I think a lot of the common kind of, of experiences that, that most people are probably immediately thinking of when I 
say something like that is like, hey, I can think of the, you know, gay person who they grew up in church and and they knew that uh, homosexuality was wrong and they knew that they shouldn't feel the way that they feel, but then they still feel that way and they say they, say they want to stop being attracted to the same sex, um, but then they just can't stop and so they start struggling with these ideas of, you know, they start feeling depressed and they start feeling worthless and, you know, all, all of these negative emotions and, and uh, I've seen plenty of people push back with that idea saying, hey, well, you know what, if, if it's so helpful, then why aren't all these people, you know, um, why aren't all these people glad to flee from homosexuality? Why does it seem like they're always uh, being hurt? Um, so, so in answering that question, could you just kind of explain to us, I guess, first, why is it that it seems like there's so many people, um, who, when confronted with the idea that homosexuality is evil, um, they, they're just met with essentially disappointment, even if they might, you know, there's an aspect of them that might even agree that maybe it's not that good or they at least acknowledge hey god doesn't think it's good yeah sure so yeah uh, along those lines it, it, basically why part of why that you know canada is criminalizing this sort of thing is because there's this narrative that's formed essentially that any you know attempt to uh, try to change a, a person's orientation as far as that goes if there is such a thing uh, as a homosexual um identity or orientation in the way that's being described, any attempt to change that uh, will inevitably lead, you know, the person to commit suicide or something like that. And there's been all the, you know, the homosexuals who commit suicide or the transgenders who commit suicide because they are basically shamed for being who the who they are essentially in terms of their identity. And then that shaming basically leads them to despair and leads them to, you know, this false kind of guilt, which is going to inevitably lead them to suicide. Is that kind of what you have in mind? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that kind of narrative is, is um, I think it's a very naive um, understanding of reality in general, and it doesn't really deal with um, – some of the things that the Bible speaks to. So in terms of the way the scriptures work, God's moral law is written on our heart. Um, and the Holy Spirit sent into the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so this is the kind of world, I mean, God made the kind of world that he made. And the kind of world that he made is the kind of world to where his laws, um, you can you can violate them. But then if you violate his, his laws, you're only going to be le- uh, led to heartache and pain and suffering. And so one of the things the Bible says is the way of the transgressor is hard, uh, meaning, you know, there's a, there's a way that seems right under man, but in the end it leads to death. If you reject God's laws and you reject God's standards, uh, there's a problem of guilt that's associated with it. So just, you know, take a different kind of analogy. So take the analogy of murder or something like that. Uh, I'm sure that you've watched plenty of movie where the, you know, the person commits the murder and then, you know, basically they spend the rest of their life kind of destabilized after that and filled with guilt and filled with shame and filled with condemnation and constantly looking over their shoulder and constantly wondering when the police are going to come get them. You can imagine that kind of scenario. You see it in, you know, books or movies or everything else. You can imagine that kind of scenario. Now, God gives a law that says, hey, don't murder, right? (laughs) 
and there are consequences to that kind of thing. Now, you reject that law. You can reject it all day long and say, hey, well, murder was justified in my case and, you know, God will forgive me and whatever else or, you know, who is he to tell me, you know, if he knew what I went through and, you know, you can do all that. But then because the world is the world that he made, when you do that, you are going to experience the consequences that come from that. And one of the consequences that come from that is the consequence of guilt and shame and condemnation, if that makes sense. And so when, when, when you're related to the idea of sodomy and you relate, you relate that to the idea of sodomy, you relate that to the idea of transgenderism, you, you relate that to these sexual identities and orientations that are seek, uh, seeking to be praised in society in general. One of the problems is that if you, um, if you try – like you, you have a, you know, a different morality that's at operation within the world and with, within the church. And, and one of the things that um, – to realize is that there used to be social stigmas and pressures against certain forms of deviant uh, sexual behavior that were, you know, like you, they were largely preventative medicine as far as that goes. Um, they were, you know, they might have been executed at times in a bit of a cruel way. Um, I mean, I remember growing up, there was a you know game that. Uh, you know, would be blasphemous to play now, but you know, the smear of the queer game essentially, or something like that. And so, when people <laughs> <laughs> when people uh, when people think about you know trying to repair a gay person's identity, that's the kind of example that comes to mind. As you know, you're just you know a bully picking on the poor person who is born this way and can't do anything about it. And what you need to do is triumphantly affirm your identity and. Part of what's happening in movies and societies in, in general is that <clears throat> in every movie and every TV show, you know, the gay person is always the best dressed and always the, the, the most intelligent and, you know, everything else always the most witty. And and so our, our society is actively trying to praise this vice, but then the problem is there's consequences to that kind of thing. <clears throat> and it's not a, a path that ultimately is going to lead to anything good. And the, and the problem is that there's guilt and there's shame that comes with it. And when you engage in high-handed rebellion against God, the problem is you're going to feel guilt and you're going to feel shame and you're going to feel condemnation. And no amount of looking in the mirror and saying, hey, you're wonderful and you're special uh, is going to help you to deal with that fundamental reality. And that's why, you know, gays and transgenders and, you know, you know all that, uh, that's why – they commit high, higher levels of suicide and it's not because you know people are uh, messing with them or whatever else on some sort of broad scale although i would say that you know the fact that there might be society that's still pushing back against that at all in whatever way is better than being in a society that universally praises it because it, it is a destructive lifestyle that it is going to lead to guilt and shame and condemnation. And there's moral things that are happening in these uh, kind of scenarios that, that uh, the world is unaware of. And there's, I mean, there's no way that you can um, pursue rebellion against God and not, you know, uh, be fundamentally destabilized, uh, fundamentally uh, hopeless and given into despair. Uh, and everything else. I mean, you can pursue iniquity with everything that you have, and all you're going to get is pain and suffering and heartache. And, and you know that's what happens when the transgender person changes their gender. They think, "Oh man, I'm a you know I'm a man trapped in a woman. Uh, uh, I'm a, I'm really a man who's trapped in a woman's body. And if I just change my body, you know that'll be the answer." And then uh, you know, surprise, you, you know, wonder of wonders, they they end up wanting to commit suicide after they get the surgery because they realize that they fundamentally, you know, just mutilated themselves and it didn't fix the fundamental problems and now they've they've 
you know, marred the image of God in them to such a degree that, you know, they're never, they're, you can't go back from it and it doesn't help. And you can look at that in some simplistic way and say, oh, well, that's because society is shaming this person. And and it's just the wrong conclusion. And the conclusion is you're living in God's world and what he says goes. And when you rebel in a high-handed way like that, there is guilt and shame and condemnation that ultimately is going to lead you to despair and uh, have no hope left. And that's what, that's the fruit of it. That's the bitter fruit of it. Um. So why is it then I've seen um I've seen people, you know, primarily online, so take that for you know, take that with a grain of salt, I guess, but I've seen plenty of people online who essentially say we actually read an article, both you and I, this week where um a guy who was claiming to be homosexual and Christian uh, which we know uh, unrepentantly homosexual, um, and and we know you and I know that those two things they uh they kind of contradict each other. Um, and but anyways, we were we were reading this article um, from this guy. I, I've forgotten his name now, um, but he essentially said, was saying, uh, you know, hey, look, I realized that. Uh, when when I was younger, you know, I grew up in I think a of either a Baptist or a Southern Baptist church. I realized that the Bible said that homosexuality was wrong. I knew what I was feeling, what I was desiring, um, in terms of who I was attracted to was wrong and I didn't I didn't want uh to be attracted to the same sex. I didn't want to be attracted to men when I was a man. Um and and i feel like i've i've seen i've seen people say that they feel this way where essentially hey i get it's wrong i don't want to do it i don't want to be attracted to a man why can't i stop i i keep trying i keep trying to um you know not be gay but it just doesn't seem like i can stop and then eventually a lot of them either come to the conclusion that well it must not be that bad if I can't stop or, uh, you know, well, God's not real then because they keep saying this is wrong. If it were wrong, I should be able to stop, but I can't stop. So why is it that, uh, people when confronted with the reality that they need to, uh, they need to, you know, if you're a man, be attracted to a woman and a woman be attracted to a man when they're confronted with that idea, they, they just, it seems like so many of them just can't even, uh, get there. Um, could you could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, that thing that you're describing um, that um, you know the, the reality that there are people who want to you know quit being gay or want to quit you know being attractive to members of the same sex and are having little to no uh, success in changing that those fundamental set of desires or that orientation or that uh, those poles. Uh, and they can't seem to bring themselves to be attracted to members of the opposite sex. That's, I mean, that's a reality that um, that there's plenty of stories that go along those lines. And I don't have some vested interest in saying that um, that's never happened or they're just lying about it or whatever else. But that that's the kind of thing that um, essentially has led um, – you know, individuals like Rosario Butterfield, Sam Arbery, Jackie Hill Perry, essentially to describe an expectation on the part of the ch- church that an individual does change that or some sort of teaching that basically says that the gospel has provided a solution to that 
they would describe that as a form of heresy, essentially, because they're looking at a person like that. They know people like that. They've interacted with people like that who seem to have little to no success. And then, you know, they they describe it in kind of a dismissive way as attempting to pray the gay away or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's people – there's obviously people in that category, but then the question is, well, why? That's your question essentially, right? Yeah. Or what do you do with that? What do you do with that sort of information or how do you respond to that sort of information? Right. Uh, like, uh, how can you encourage – essentially, how can you encourage people to try to you – know, Is does the Bible tell us to try to encourage them to fix that or is that part of who they are or is that – you know, what, how do we deal with that kind of reality, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would just say that, you know, the reality is that in general, I would say the church really hasn't taught on sanctification in general. And, and, and so just, you know, broadening the topic out, and most of what you get as standard church is going to be, you know, either the self-help crap that you're going to get and, you know, your big like mega churches, church for the unchurched, Andy Stanley type of churches. You get all the self-help crap. Um, you're going to get a watered down, you know, gospel like you you know at, at churches that are attempting to be faithful often they really provide very little practical help as it relates to how to be sanctified in general and there's plenty of movements out there that basically just you know the church what happens on sunday is it's basically an evangelistic event where you get 52 ways to be saved every year and very little to no help on how to be sanctified and so i'm not surprised that that uh, for many people they really don't ha- like the people who are talking about this they really don't have e- they have very little understanding of how to even pursue sanctification. And so then when you talk about, hey, trying to change a homosexual orientation or something like that, to them that's reduced to – and this is always a tag or this is always a tell, like if you want a poker tell, uh, to someone who really has a very stunted view of sanctification and doesn't know how to – very little about sanctification. When they talk about the subject and they say they, – they reduce that to attempting to pray the gay away or something like that. That basically tells you that they don't have any understanding of sanctification and how it works and how you should, you know, deal with any any kind of uh, deviant sec- any kind of deviant sin that you're committed. So I would say that there's some sort of dynamic like that. That um, and I'm sure there's many many people who you know have prayed. You know, Lord, please take it away. Lord, please take it away. Lord, please take it away. And He doesn't seem to take away. And so then they conclude in despair. Well, I guess. This is just who I am, and I'm stuck with it. And um, I'm tired of you know asking God to do something that He doesn't seem to do. But then the Bible does teach us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God who's at will, work uh, at um, work to will and to do inside of us. And so there is part of the Christian life that involves effort, involves work, involves you know the Bible talks about resisting the devil, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The Bible tells us to put to death what's earthly in us, you know, um, uh, the, the these evil desires, sexual immorality, all these things. So you're supposed to put these to death. You're supposed to you know, rend your heart, not your garment. There's, uh, I, I think the church really has a passive view of sanctification as it relates to many topics. And so we really, I mean, I would say that change is rare for the church in general. I mean, if you just think about your experience and think about people, uh, the vast majority of people, they are who they are. And, you know, this happens in marriage. This happens in, uh, you know, related to scandalous sins like sodomy, um, this, this, I mean, this is, you know, the sad truth is that people generally tend to be who they are. 
Christian in name, I mean, whether you're talking about professing Christians or, or not, I mean, people don't seem to change. Or, uh, you know, there's been plenty of people who have gotten married to a person, they've seen their flaws, and they had some expectation that this person would be dramatically different in the first few weeks of marriage, only to find out that they're, you know, they're 10 years in and they're committing the same sins <laughs> with the same frequency, you know, or very little noticeable difference over and over and over again. And, you know, at that point, just I must have picked the wrong person or anything else. And so I would just say in general, sanctif- we have a stunted view of sanctification and we don't, you know, I would say the church in large, we, we don't know how to help people to pursue biblical change uh, as we should. And so it doesn't matter what the subject is. But then the problem is, here's the problem. Um, you know, just because we, you know, just because we don't see as much fruit as what we would expect or on the timetable that we would expect, that doesn't have anything to, that doesn't say anything about what the Bible tells us to do and God's actual ability to heal us. It may say something about our understanding of how he does that and the means he does that and the methods he does that and how that comes about if, as far as that goes. But I, I would say that the church by and large is, is like a person who needs to find a job. This is what this is what the church by and large does. Just imagine a person who needs to find a job, just praying, Lord, give me a job, Lord, give me a job, Lord, give me a job. But then he doesn't put any resumes out and he doesn't do any work and he doesn't pursue any employment. He doesn't ask anyone for leads. You know, he doesn't um, do any internet searches and he just, Lord, give me a job, Lord, give me a job. Now, can, can God give you the job? Sure. Have I gotten jobs that way? Sure. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. God can do whatever he wants to do. But you know what? You know, if I look back over my history of, of the jobs I've found in my life, um, it, it, you know, 99% of those jobs have been through a lot of prayer and a lot of effort and a lot of work and a lot of tangible actions that I took <laughs> as far as that goes. And so I think uh, for many people, they have like a let go, let God kind of view of sanctification in general, which basically just, you know, uh, I describe it as a Carrie Underwood approach to sanctification. <laughs> that Jesus takes the wh- take the wheel approach, right? You know, going way too fast, can't do this on my own. I'm letting go, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Some sound words, obviously. Some sound words from a prophet of this age, you know. <laughs> but I mean, basically, that's what it is. I mean, and that's what pe- people have. They have this passive view of sanctification. To where it's just like, well, Lord, you got to take away. Oh, he doesn't. You know, I've asked him a hundred times to take it away, and he hasn't. It's just like, okay, well, what are you doing in life? You know, are you are you looking at porn every day on the internet? You know, is that what you're doing? You're looking at porn every day on the internet, and he's not taking away these desires. Are you going to the gay night clubs all the time? You know, are you watching you know the gay movies all the time? Like, what are you doing with your life, right? Like, what 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 actually are you doing? Are you do you have all these intimate gay friendships that you have that are constantly tempting you towards being gay? You know, are there friendships you need to get rid of? Are there you know entertainment that you need to get rid of? Are you reading the Bible ever? Are you renewing your mind? Endeavor. What do you do when you feel these? Uh, are you trying to renew your mind? Are you trying to renew your thoughts? Are you putting to death evil desires? You know what? Like what actually are you doing in the moment? And so I would be the first person to say yes. It, it you know, when uh, sin becomes uh, life dominating, there's a bunch of things that you're going to have to do if you're going to get rid of this. Um, so yes, you know, it's it's kind of like the you know the guy and the girl who are struggling with. Uh, sexual immorality before marriage, but then they're constantly putting themselves in horrible situations that, that are tempting to them, just saying, you know, well, Lord, why do you, you know, 
can you please take it away? Please take away the, the lust. Please take away the lust. And it's like, well, you know what? You guys need to, like, quit laying on the bed together. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> you're not helping, you know? Yeah. And so Wait, I think... Well, where, are you, where are you guys when you're normally feeling this kind of temptation? Yeah. Oh, the basement. <laughs> the basement. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe don't stay in the basement. <laughs> in the basement with the door locked, you know, uh, half clothed. And it's like, oh, big shock, you know? It's like... You want victory from that, you may want to flee temptation, you know, as the Bible says. And so, I, I mean, there's so many strategies that a person can use to like, try to overcome these things. The point, point, though, is just to say that, yes, if you have some simplistic notion of sanctification that just involves saying, God, take it all away, you know, Carrie Underwood, then, yeah, I, I get it. You don't, you don't experience any success for it. Yeah, that makes sense. Not surprising, you know. Uh, but I would say that um, that's, you know— we know how that works in other areas of life and we can kind of chuckle at it, but then we refuse to apply it with this area. So there are those who would agree with you, Tim, and say, yes, homosexuality is wrong in practice, right? Sure. They, they would add that caveat to it. At in the, other words, sodomy is wrong or yeah, le- yeah, yeah. lesbian sex is wrong or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That, or that, maybe even like homosexual kissing is wrong, you know. Yeah, that that aspect of it is wrong, but then it's not necessarily wrong to uh, be gay. Meaning, you know, hey, internally, I'm attracted to the same sex. You know, so this person would say I'm attracted to the same sex, um, but I recognize that. Um, you know, sodomy is wrong, for example. Um, and, and that kind of leads into a conversation about which, which might be, it might be hard to try and, you know, have a whole conversation about this, but maybe we can, maybe we can answer the question at least as it relates to homosexuality. There's a lot, there's a, well, I don't know how large it is, but there's a group of people who would argue that, um, that, to act on the temptation, um, their their homosexual desires present would be sin for that person. Like it makes God angry; He's not pleased with it. At the same time, they would say, um, "Hey, just because this person is being tempted internally does not mean they have sinned yet. It'll be sin if they act on it. It'll be sin if they go and." and allow themselves to be sodomized or sodomize someone else or whatever. Um, but it's not sin for them to... They probably wouldn't want to use that word, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt that. Because that's mean-sounding. <laughs> you know, that doesn't sound very nice, Harrison. You know. Yeah, excuse that's me. That's a moral word, you know. That's yeah. a moral word, you know, <laughs> moral condemnation. You don't want to go there. Uh, Keep on going. Uh, excuse me for using the, <laughs> the mean term. I apologize. Um, right. But anyways, yeah, they they would argue that it's not sin unless the person acts on it. Or maybe even I, I've seen some people who would even argue, hey, it's not even a sin to actually be in the homosexual relationship. Yeah. Um as, as yeah. long as as long as they're celibate. Right? Yeah, and yeah. so so is there any kind of biblical category for this idea, or is this just totally, you know, out of left field? completely untrue and 
And but that that's not coming from the Bible. <laughs> okay. 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 I mean, like you're not. Uh, so what you're describing is called the you know the uh, same sex attracted uh, same sex attraction SSA Christian movement, and so there's been a movement within you know broader evangelicalism. Sam Al- Alberry, Rosaria Butterfield, to some degree, uh, more Sam Alberry, uh, Jackie Hill Perry are arguing for the same sex uh, attracted Christian as a, as a legitimate category. Now Rosaria pushes against it a little bit but then she's pretty sloppy with how she does it and is still accepting the basic premise but uh, what what's happened is um let me answer this in two phases one one i'm going to tell you how that happened and then two what does the bible say about it okay okay so so how it's come about is um essentially uh, this is a you know this is a problem that the psychologists have created for us in certain ways and you know Freud in particular and <laughs> uh, but this is a this is a psychologist problem that people happened. already know what we think about them yeah you know, <laughs> hopefully if not go listen to the episode but but part of so in the DSM you know basically homosexuality was it used to be considered a uh, mental disorder okay mm-hmm. so like a ment- like a mental disorder, so not a physical problem, but you know a problem of thought and behavior that we describe in medical language. So it sounds like it's some sort of physical, you know, brain problem or something like that. It used to be a mental disorder. It used to be uh, labeled as uh, as such in the DSM. So, you know, if someone commits murder, you say, "Hey, are they clinically insane?" Basically, you're saying they have some sort of mental problem that they can't be held accountable for their actions. Well, homosexuality used to be viewed as that, but then you know a bunch of homosexual activists. Uh, Took uh, uh, took over the you know association uh, American Association for uh, Psychiatrics and all that and, and so they took that over and then they basically lobbied to have like you know had a vote and changed it from a mental disorder to um, it, so that it's no longer viewed that way now pedophilia is still viewed as a mental disorder in the DSM but homosexuality it, it, this mental disorder thing was removed but the problem with that though is that being like if you think about step one, it's viewed as a mental disorder, right? All right, so think about that. Now, what that means, though, is that um, this is an orientation which a person fundamentally can't help, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. They can't help it. Uh, but then, you know, it has negative st- stigma attached with it. It's not helpful or whatever else, but it's fundamentally an orientation that they can't help. It's something that they can't really be blamed for, if that makes sense. It's a mental disorder it's just essentially we're just matter or complex machine it's a mental disorder so when you think about it that way like we have uh we've viewed it that way for a long time and now the basic assumptions of psychology are that people you know are basically who they are if that makes sense they're Mm -hmm. basically fixed in terms of their personality you can you can't really expect much change as far as that goes because people are who they are and so then you know whether or not you're talking about some sort of personality test that they take or you talk about you know Things like that, uh, you know. There's constant, you know, uh, you, you know. People have been researching this stuff for years, and you know, is there some sort of gay gene and everything else? But because you know, we we used to think it was a mental disorder. You think, well, people were born this way, and like you know, maybe it's genetic, and it's this mental problem, and everything else, and whatever it is, it's just this fixed orientation that a person can't overcome as far as that goes. Now, when you take it out of the mental disorder category, now it's just an alternative lifestyle. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But the, all the assumptions were that it was some sort of fixed part of the personality. And so then there's plenty of people who say, hey, hey, you know what? I was always different and I didn't know why. And, you know, 
I don't, I can't ever remember being attracted to women and whatever else. And so then their your label for all that is, well, I was born this way. This is all who I always been. And at some point they realize in some, you know, tearful moment that, oh, I, I must be gay, you know. And then once they latched onto that as a, you know, a label, then that's who they are. And this, this orientation is something that's fixed and immovable and can't be changed and everything else. And so then, you know, you enter the same-sex attracted Christian movement. And essentially what's happening is we're, we've – We've sanctified this label, you know. It's just this uh, like a homosexual label, right? And I don't even like saying homosexual because it it uh, it basically gives up the game, if that makes sense. What do you mean? So even you, well, if you use the term homosexual, you are giving up the whole game. You're basically saying that there is a category of individual who, like, hey, I'm heterosexual. Who are you? Well, you're homosexual, right? So I'm heterosexual. You're homosexual. It's like, well, no, we're both human beings. And you're a pervert, and I'm not, <laughs> right? So, like, if we if we use like if we use biblical language, you're a pervert. Now, what, where did the word pervert come about? Well, the word pervert came about uh, in that um, basically one of the um, one of the Hebrew words for sin is essentially uh, a missing. You have like missing the mark, and then you also have this notion of being crooked or corrupted, as far as that goes within like one of the Hebrew words for sin. And so, this idea of you know your way is perverted before the Lord, your way is crooked, it's not straight. Like that's where like these words came from. And so, uh, you know, now that's become a pejorative, and like how dare you, and all that. But then it came from a biblical worldview, which says that this is this is a perversion of the natural order. It's not just an alternative state. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like it's a perversion. So we're all human beings who are made to be attracted to members of the opposite sex. But then this is an individual who has a way uh, 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 that is perverted. They've been given over to iniquity to the point now to where they desire, you know, members of the same sex. They've been given over to a level of depravity that is uncommon if, as far as that goes. Uh, and that's why they are where they are, you know, and maybe they were introduced to it at a young age by some, you know, older perverted man, whatever. But the the point there is just to say in even using the homosexual language, you're giving up the game. You're basically just you, – um, you're basically um, you, conceding the point that there is such a thing as a homosexual orientation, which is a fixed, immutable part of a person's, you know uh, – personality or identity that fundamentally is fixed and can't change. And so I try to use like words like sodomite or, you know, more colorful terms like pervert, uh, <laughs> uh, in order to, <laughs> uh, keep, keep myself from, um, giving away the game as far as that goes. But anyway, so, so, uh, so the first part of the question I'm trying to answer is just the question of, you know, how did we get here? Well, we, we got here essentially because we accepted this idea of a homosexual orientation first was a mental disorder and now it's just an alternative orientation as far as that goes. Now you have the church who's come along and basically they they we don't know how to counsel people out of it very well because we don't know how to counsel people out of any sin very well. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. So that's the problem. And so then it's just, well, they prayed and didn't go away. So, you know, like – Maybe that's just who they are, but the Bible clearly speaks against sodomy. So, um, and they wouldn't want to use that term because that sounds mean to them, even though it's an accurate description, like it's a moral category instead of a, a psychological category. Um, so, you know, just don't act on it, and that's fine. Now, the problem with that, though, biblically, all right, so 
how did it come about? That's the answer in part. Uh, but then like the problem with that biblically, biblically, what does the Bible say? Is that the Bible says that you know if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed with adultery with her in her heart. Like sins aren't just result like the result of behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's not just enough to fail to keep the behavior. And this is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the whole point of um, uh, you know what Jesus came to do. Uh, Jesus didn't come to overturn the law, but to show all the ways in which people were violating the law in their very mind, in their very heart, in their very affections. And so, you know, it's not enough just to not be a murderer if you hate people in your heart, right? It's the same kind of thing. Um, now, I, you take it a step further further, and you actually murder someone, then you, you're guilty of a crime. But, you know, it's the same kind of thing that's going on. And so what's happening here is um, uh, these, this set, this, this pull, this attraction towards members of the same set is viewed as a neutral orientation that a person can't help. And that's done for many reasons. And so part of it's done because, you know, there's, a, uh, as I said, a stunted view of sanctification. But part of why that's happened is because, you know, people are making some sort of distinction between sin and temptation. Basically, uh, hey, you know, it's, you know, you can't help it if you're tempted to sin as long as you don't act on it kind of thing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But, but then <laughs> the problem with this thing at every level is it just it doesn't work with any other sin. That's the problem. It only... You know, you're asking us to um, suspend um, all logic and reason and treat one sin in a different way than others, if that makes sense. So just like just a few examples of what I mean. I mean everyone would think – everyone still for whatever reason as it relates to pedophilia would think that a person who desires to have sex with children, that desire itself, that pull is fundamentally wrong and immoral. Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone would think that. Everyone would think that. Now, if you want to get on the animal rights bandwagon, you know, everyone would think that a person who has a desire to, you know, um, tie an animal down or throw a puppy in a wood chipper or, you know, torture an experiment, take, you know, hot pokers and stab an animal over and over and over again. People, everyone would think that not only would it be wrong to act on that, that there's something fundamentally wrong with you if you want to act on it, right? Yeah. I mean, even Christians, I, I would say even Christians with a biblical view should be horrified by that, uh, those kind of desires. They're wrong. You know, um, it, it, like, like we, we know intuitively with every other category, you know, let's say that, hey, you know, I want to kill you and take your wife, right? <laughs> yeah. That desire, that covetousness is wrong. That desire is wrong. And that's, uh, it's not just, like, it would be great if I don't act on it. Please don't act on it. <laughs> However, <laughs> the fact that you want to do it is a serious problem. You know, if I if every time I go to your house, I just want to steal things from you and take everything that's in your house and I'm plotting ways to do it and I'm just spending the whole time saying don't take it, don't take it, don't take it. I'm sure that it would it's better if I overcome it and resist it. Yes. But at the same time, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> if that's my experience, and most people, that's not their experience as they go to their neighbor's house and everything else. And so, here's the so the the problem is that as you read through the Bible, the Bible wants us to you know Colossians three five put to death what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and it says evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's not enough just to change your behavior; you need to change the desires themselves. That orientation, that pull towards iniquity, is wrong, and it's evidence. Of, of of sin in of itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, 
so you know essentially it's not enough to just say yeah it's it's wrong to act on it you know if we're going to take Jesus at his word if we're going to take what he said seriously on the sermon on the mount then we have to admit that um that you know being gay even just even just being tempted you know with the attraction of someone of the same sex as you is sinful uh even if you don't act on it it's it's a sinful desire that you're experiencing that requires forgiveness from god is that is that kind of a fair summary of everything yeah that's a fair summary now what people like the way they try to get out of it biblically is they try to say hey well you know um Jesus, the Bible says, was uh, tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. So right. wasn't Jesus. So essentially, if Jesus is tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, then, you know, doesn't that mean that he was, you know, there's, is it a sin to be tempted? Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the pushback. That's the, So that's where the pushback is coming from. So it's like, hey, you know, it can't help that you're tempted, Um you can't help that you're tempted with evil as long as you don't act on it. It's fine, and and I'm and I'm sure that you've heard plenty of people say essentially that, right? You can't help your temptations as long as you fight them, right? Yeah, yeah. Now the problem with that though is that that's naive, <laughs> and it's a stunted understanding of how you know uh, the Bible actually works. Now. With respect to bodily weakness, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Meaning, you know, Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry, knows what it's like to be thirsty, knows what it's like to be um, uh, tired, uh, tired, knows what it's like to be sick, hurt, everything else. He's gone through the whole gamut of human experience. He knows that. But that passage is not saying that, you know, Jesus, every time he walked past a little boy, wanted to sodomize that little boy and had to turn from it, Mm -hmm. right? So the, pro- <laughs> the problem is we're equivocating on what temptation actually means. Now, in the Bible, there's two types of temptations that happen. There's what you call external temptations and internal temptations, if that makes sense. Yeah. So an external temptation to sin is an offer, uh, an offer to sin. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, imagine that you're, you know, driving um, down the road uh, in a shady part of town and some gaudy woman, you know, with not enough clothes who looks like she's addicted to meth or whatever comes up to you and offers you a good time or something like that, right, Mm -hmm. for some money. I'm I'm sure that most people would look at that and not feel any kind of pull whatsoever. At least hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, you have to be pretty low to you want to go there. I mean, now I've, you know, I've, you know, I've lived in the world uh, and, you know, I've, I've had plenty of gay guys hit on me before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and, and I will tell you, they're offering iniquity to me. And I know that you've just, <laughs> you, you described uh, uh, to me a scenario where uh, a guy you were trying to evangelize, uh, Touched your ear in a suggestive way. He gave you an offer, uh, as far as that goes. But I mean, I think the standard red-blooded American male is not even remotely tempted by that. In fact, is repulsed by that. Right? Yeah. So, like, is that were you tempted? The question is, were you tempted? Well, yes and no. 
Right. You were tempted, meaning you were, an external offer was given to you mm-hmm. to commit iniquity. You know, I've had gay guys want to be my boyfriend or whatever and give me offers. But there's no – the problem is like I'm, I have an external temptation, but there's no internal <laughs> temptation whatsoever <laughs> that's happening, right? There's no pull. There's no pull that says, oh, man, I kind of like this. Try that, you know? It's like, uh, gross, man. Get out of here, you know? No, like, I'm I, good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever talk to me like that again or I'll beat you up, you know. I'm threatening assault, you know. <laughs> like <laughs> Uh, don't nobody talk to me like that, you know, uh, kind of thing. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but no, uh, so like there's internal temptations and there's external temptations. So an internal temptation is – an external temptation is simply an offer. So Jesus has, you know, re- received the whole gamut of external temptations, I assume, you know. So Satan says to Jesus, uh, you know, you're the son of God. You can throw yourself off this temple and uh, because it's written – uh, God will bear you up let you dash lest you dash your foot against a stone he's given an external offer of temptation obviously um, and and but then there's no oh man I'd really like to see if God's gonna take care of me here I kind of want to do that and see what it's like right I'll give you the whole kingdoms of the world if you bow down and worship me oh man I'd really like everything else so maybe I'll I should bow down no like it, there's no internal temptation but there's an external temptation mm-hmm. as in the way that they're described and so that's what's happening within this uh, SSA kind of movement, which is essentially uh, saying that people are not only um, – like what, what's happening is they're equivocating and they're you know, collapsing all temptation into the same kind of rubric. But then there's two different types of temptation. But James tells us that each man is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires essentially. And so there is an internal temptation, a luring and enticement that comes from a sinful heart. Jesus didn't have a sinful heart. Jesus' heart wasn't you know, pulling him to rape women or to engage in homosexual sex or anything else. He didn't have the internal temptation. He had the external. But then when you have that internal temptation, you have your heart that's pulling you, the wicked old man, the wretched old man that you are in the language of Paul that's pulling you towards evil. Yes, you need to resist it. But the fact that it's there is the kind of thing that you say, hey, Lord, will you forgive me? I'm so wicked. Please forgive me for the wicked desires of my heart mm-hmm. and please help me not to act on them. Now, is it, you know, is it a success if you, if you don't act on it? Yes, but, it would, but what you're trying to get to is where you, don't, you stop desiring it, <laughs> right? right. Uh, so you're not just an innocent person you know, who's just Satan putting thoughts in your mind that you can't help. It's like, no, those are coming from your own sinful and wicked heart. Does that makes sense. Yeah, and and it kind of leads me into my next question, uh, which really, um, you know, we we already we already talked some about the people who say that they don't want to be attracted to the same sex anymore. They think God says it's wrong, and yet they can't really seem to overcome it for whatever reason. Um, and you you've kind of you've already talked about that. Uh, but I I wanted to go back to that topic for a second and basically just ask you, um, you know, in light of all of these people who really seem to uh, not be able to overcome the sin, even when they realize it's wrong, is it is it possible to overcome this sin? Is it possible to be someone who is attracted to the same sex? have someone confront you and say, hey, this is wrong and you are going to go to hell if you don't repent of this and turn away from it. Is it possible for that person 
to actually repent from that sin and ha- and have um you know kind of like a final kind of victory over it where there is no more temptation um for that person and and i'm going to ask you a, a second question and um and you can kind of just go you know answer them back to back for me if if repentance is possible what exactly does it look like um for that person in practice i guess does it does that make sense yeah i think there's numerous examples of people who are doing that very thing who have repented of that poll in a pretty fundamental way who refuse to identify themselves as being homosexuals or gay Christians and, you know, who are not trying to engage in celibate gay, lifelong committed covenantal friendships with (laughs) people. (laughs) Uh, And who, you know, ultimately uh, basically repudiate that to the othermost, get married, uh, have kids and move on with their life and talk about uh, exactly that. I mean, the Bible explicitly says, I mean, explicitly says in 1 Corinthians that uh, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This First Corinthians six nine. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And it says in verse eleven, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. Mm-hmm. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So uh, there's. Uh, and the scripture itself testifies to the transformative power of the gospel that God can take, you know, any t- take in, any individual affected by any sin and fundamentally clean them up. And there's plenty of stories of individuals who have done just that. And the problem is that essentially, essentially once a Christian, I mean, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, uh, professors at Southeastern uh, Theological Seminary who basically were formally gay and trying to, you know, were basically fired because they were trying to teach that the Bible uh, can fundamentally change a person with this set of sin that's become kind of a heresy. Mm-hmm. But that's happened in the Christian world and the secular world. We, we have no allowance for those kind of actual conversion stories because we've said that they can't happen. But then, you know, there's plenty of people where they've actually happened to is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's plenty of people that actually fit that. Now, I mean, I think part of what's happened, though, is in your the way you worded it, there's some um, uh, lack of um, – I, I don't know how to put it. There's um, – the way you worded it, you asked, is there um, – you know, does the Bible anticipate a kind of scenario essentially where a person can repent of this in some sort of final way and never again experience internal temptation again. Is that mm-hmm. kind of yeah, how you asked yeah, it? Yeah, have, have like a final kind of uh, victory over it. Okay, all right. I think part of um, the way that that's framed is it's framed in such a strong way as to maybe give evidence to the other side that uh, conversion is not conversion therapy is harmful and dangerous and not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, what I mean by that is to say, let, let's, let's deal with another kind of sin for a second, okay? So, like, let's say that we're going to talk about a sin like uh, uh, lust in, in more of a heterosexual way, mm-hmm. right? Well, is it possible for God to, like, utterly 
remove lust from a person's heart, period. What would you say? Yes. Yes. Now, in practice, does he seem to do that? No. Okay. <laughs> so, meaning it's <laughs> like there's – for most people, it, it's kind of a longer road. Right. Uh, okay. So, uh, so think about like the – like the person who's engaged in premarital sex or something like that. And, um, you know, they want like God just to take the lust away. They want God to just take it away, just take it away, just take it away. And then, you know, they get married, they, you know, have a family, but then that's still kind of there to some degree. They, you know, walk past, see something they shouldn't see and, you know, ask God, Hey, forgive me for the pole and everything else. Now do those reoccurrences, come few and far between for the sanctified Christian, sure. Is it possible to get to a point where it's just like you're absolutely offended by that, grossed out? Absolutely. Uh, is that a testimony of many people? Absolutely. But then, you know, for a lot of people, it's kind of, it's a thing that they actually struggle with. Um, some people, you know, they struggle with it in quotes, but that just means they give in every time they <laughs> feel tempted. <laughs> for, some, for some people, they actually struggle with it and they're actually gaining some success and it's just something that's worked out over time, right? Yeah. All right. So with the idea of the homosexual temptation, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that a person who runs down that track for decades of their life, they run down that track. Um. There's the kind of person who at some point in some sort of decisive way says, I hate this. I'm sick of it. I, I can't stand it. And now I'm just grossed and repelled by it. Never want to go back there again, period, right? And anytime there might be some slight pull that way, they're like, that is disgusting. That is gross. I never want to go back there. Please forgive me for ever going down that road, period, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're dealing with it at such an early stage to the point to where maybe that like, you know, little wistful nostalgia kind of comes up every once in a while. But instantaneously they're attacking it. It's gone. Functionally, it's eradicated. Sure. that I think that that's uh, – the Bible does um, put that forward as if that is like the, an expected thing. At the same time, I would say that there's like what, – what's happened though, what's happening and the problem that's happening is that – there's any number of people when they feel that slightest pull, they want it to be gone away completely and instead of like engaging in the process of killing it by you know re- rebuking those thoughts, rebuking those feelings, asking God's forgiveness and quickly and decisively, what they, what they do is every time that, that faint stirring shows up again, it's just evidence to them of the, this homosexual orientation that's fixed. It's immovable. It's permanent. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so because they're looking at it that way, then anytime that thing surfaces, it's just like I, this is just who I am. It's just who I am. It won't go away. I can't get it to stop. It's like, well, look, it's who you were, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like if you're a Christian, it's who you were and now you have to put to death this thing and you have to pursue sanctification. Uh, and you know that thing might periodically come up again, but like there's a solution to that in the gospel. You rebuke it. That's not who you are anymore. Your identity has fundamentally changed. So you don't have to just live out this hopeless script anymore just because you fear, feel the faintest stirrings of temptations and just go, oh, you know, ER, woe is me and everything else. Does that make sense? Yeah. So now, is it possible to just never, ever again feel that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely. But 
you know, anytime you spend 20 years committing, a, you know, running down a particular path, like, you know, it's, it's uh, just imagine something like dieting, right? Um, <laughs> imagine something like dieting where, you know, you just, like, like I, I would tell you just in that area, like drinking a regular drink, like the thought of drinking like a sugar drink kind of grosses me out now, right? Mm-hmm. But at first it didn't. At first it was like I had to say no. But now it's just like I don't want to act that it's like drinking a like um I can but, feel my teeth dissolving in yes, my mouth. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, at a certain point when, you you know, you resist the devil, it'll flee from you at a certain point. I mean, and that's just a, kind of a trivial example, but just think about it. Like at a certain point, at first, it's just like I just need I just need the fix. I need the caffeine. I need the sugar. I need it, you know, and then it feels criminal. But after a little bit, you know, you <laughs> resist the devil, he flee from you. Like even with something like that, it's just like now it's like, hey, drinking a you know a regular straight up Mountain Dew. It's like uh, it's kind of gross, man. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't want to get a cavity. <laughs> just like and it does. It's not satisfying. It's just gross, you know. And so I don't even feel really the slightest pull anymore. And so I think people can get there with this subject, but you know, like there's a process typically to get there, and it's not some decisive moment for the most part. You know, mm-hmm. it's a process of of turning away from it, and you can't like identify this like pole as just irrefutable evidence that you are who you are if that makes sense Mm -hmm. all right so what was the second aspect of your question yeah so the so the second uh part of the question was uh you know more practically what what exactly does it look like to um you know repent of the sin of same-sex attraction what what exactly does that look like put into practice um you know, sure. for the person who's wanting to flee from it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, so the first answer to the first question is yes, a Christian could expect, should expect a confident expectation of victory, uh, but it's a lot of work and may not happen overnight and it might uh, take some time and you can't understand the faintest stirring of temptation to be just irrefutable proof that, of failure, right? Mm-hmm. And hopelessness. But then what do you do? Well, I would say that with any life-dominating sin— like any life dominating sin, you need um, what in the counseling world we call total restructuring of your life. So, uh, so you know, like a person who's snared. We'll just talk about drugs for a second. A person who's snared in a lifestyle of drug use. What do you need to do? Well, in order to get out of that, you may need to move, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're living in an area where people are just constantly trying to give you drugs and free drugs and you know, you may need to move and you may need to change your friendships. If if your friends are always, you know, trying to pull you back and pull you back, you might need to delete your, change your number, change your phone number if you want to be sanctified. Uh, change your phone number, not give it to them. Relocate, get a new job, right? So there's behaviors that you have to take. So like, it's not all about behavior, but there's behaviors like you might change your job. I need to change your friends. You might need to change your phone numbers. You might need to change your location, right? <laughs> if that makes sense. So, um, mm-hmm. the Bible talks a lot about like the the influences of friends in the Bible, and you know Proverbs tells us to be careful about who we who we're friends with, 
And, you know, there's the kind of friendships that are only going to lead you to tempt you, right? So you want to get done with drug use. Let's talk about drugs. Like you, you, change, you might need to change your phone. You might need to change your location. You might need to change your job. You might need to change your friends. Um, not only that, you, you, so you, like there's things that you need to put off like that, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to re- flee from temptation. The Bible says res- you uh, resist the devil, you flee from him. When Joseph was offered sex from Potiphar's wife, he ran, got out of there. So a lot of people are just trying to stay and bear with it, and, and what they need to be doing is running. So you think about uh, something like that, like you need to run, you need to flee, you need to remove yourself from temptation, you need to radically amputate. Like So there's things you need to put off that, you know, big lifestyle changes. And a lot of times people don't want to do that, and they're back in it. They're back in it because they don't want them to take the ch- steps they need to take to actually have the change stick. So you have that. But not only that, you need to go to church, right? Read your Bible on a regular basis. You need to pray on a regular basis. And so you need to start adopting new habits. Like a, now, so, so you have like behaviors. So you have put off behaviors like that. So the same thing is true with sodomy, right? Or, or lesbianism. Like the thing is like, you, you know, or if all your friends are gay and lesbians and speaking in that world, you need to develop new friendships. You may need to move. You may need to change your phone number. You may need like all the same things, right? You may need to move, change your friendships, change your phone numbers, change your job. Like, you know, you, you can't work at the uh, the gay bar anymore, you know, <laughs> uh, if you want to. I, I mean, I'm just uh, – we laugh about that. But the problem is that, you know, people who are struggling with this kind of things, they don't they don't make those changes and they're constantly being pulled and sucked back into that kind of lifestyle. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So you need to put yourself in a, in a good church, a kind of church that's not going to enable you, that's not going to baby you, that's not going to, you know um, – Tolerate the sinful set of desires. So put yourself in a good church. Uh, start actively reading the Bible. Start actively praying, uh, like as far as that goes. Uh, and not just, Lord, take it all away, take it all away. Actually praying the way the Bible wants you to pray, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying don't pray that, but just, you know, um, there's work that you need to do. Uh, so what is a what is a gay person doing? I think there there's behaviors like that I've talked about. They need to put off. There, there's a lot of mannerisms they need to put off. So a lot of the you know the the, the effeminate uh, way of communicating, the flamboyant dress and mannerisms, like like the acting like women. They need some man to come along in their life and say, "Hey, quit talking like a, like a queer," right? Mm-hmm. straighten up you know and and part of that straighten up is like meaning you know you have the jordan peterson advice of you know stand up straight with your shoulders back right hey you need to learn how to walk like a man you need to learn how to talk like a man you need to learn how to sound like a man you need to learn how to act like a man right mm-hmm. uh, so like if you're constantly flagging that you're uh, effeminate everywhere you go don't be surprised if you get certain offers as far as that goes right so there's behaviors that need to change. Like uh, you, you need to put off effeminacy. The Bible says the effeminate will not inherit the kingdom of God. Put on masculinity. So there's traits that you need to put on that are not neutral. Uh, so those are all behaviors, right? Put off behaviors, put on behaviors. Uh, but then you also have to deal with what's going on in your heart. Uh, and, and so, I mean, and that involves like identifying the kind of temptations that you're actually feeling. So when you feel tempted towards like sodomy, what's happening right there. And oftentimes it's boredom for people. So boredom's a trigger. So they don't have anything productive to do in their life. They have too much time on their hands. Uh, one of the things that Hitler said in Mein Kampf, which is funny, 
You didn't know you were going to get a mind comp reference in this episode, did you? I'm going. I'm going. I'm going there. Uh, I I read that just to you know uh, see. Was it because you were Uh, bored? uh, (laughs) I wanted to understand, um, you know, the mind of uh, you know one of the most uh, paragons of wickedness, uh, uh, a paragon of wickedness, (laughs) one of the evil people imaginable. But one of the things that he um, he one of the things he did with Germany uh, was that he um, basically you have the public education system that he started, and one of the main emphasis of that was athletics. There was an emphasis of athletics in in that, and part of that's because young men have strong sexual desires, and then they don't have um, and they have a lot of uh, uh, they have a lot of energy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But they have no healthy outlet for it. But one of the things that he that he found was that if you make men like uh, tire themselves out in sports and athletics and everything else, then a lot of the unwed pregnancies goes down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, but that's just sanctified. I mean, that's not sanctified on his part. But but like a Christian could look at that, and like the Bible does talk about whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And 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 you read through the Proverbs, you see there's a lot of temptations that come with being a sluggard and lazy. And with a person who has way too much time on their hands, like they don't have anything productive to do, they're not wearing themselves out in the work that God's given them to do. Like then they're open themselves up to temptation. And so uh, it's not it's not in the Bible, but you know, an idle mind is the devil's playground or whatever. Mm-hmm. Idle hands is the devil. There's some, you know, there's some truth to that, even though that's not a scriptural thing uh, that, um, so anyways, I mean, find something productive to do, find something helpful to do, uh, in your life. As far as that goes, uh, you know, identify your, the temptations that you're having. When are they, when are they coming from? Right. W- what are the things, what are the triggers? You know, then in the moment you're asking yourself, what do I want right now that I'm not getting? What do I want this late? Like, what is the desire here? You know, and often like sexual temptation, even deviant sexual temptation, uh, is coming from desires that are not necessarily, uh, bad, right? So I just want companionship uh, because I'm effeminate. Women don't like me anymore, and good, you know, big shock there. You know, men are the only ones who uh, I've trained myself to be attractive to. Uh, you know, a predator. Uh, a um, I've trained myself to be attracted to a predatory. You know, older man <laughs> or something like that uh, who's going to take advantage of me. You know, but like here's the thing, like there's some sort of desire for companionship that's at the root of that that says, hey, if I don't have companionship, if I don't have, you know, love in the in some sort of form, even a deviant form will do. If I don't have sex, then I'm not going to be okay. And, you know, you have to identify the desires there and, and submit those desires to God and ask God to give you healthy outlets for those desires and everything else. And so I, you have to renew your mind, you know, you have to remind yourself of the scriptures, no temptations overtaking you, but what's common to man, God's faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with that temptation will provide a way of escape that you may bear it. But anyways, the point here is just that you have to renew your mind and change your behavior um, and, you know, exercise the methods of gra- uh, the, the, the uh, means of grace that God's given you, which is church and uh, spiritual friendships and, Everything else. I mean, you need a comprehensive solution. There's no one answer to that. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm giving you a bunch. But you need to do a lot of things, right? There's no one key to sanctification. Yeah. There's a bunch of them, and you got to do a lot, you know? And the part is that the problem is that someone does like one little thing and everything doesn't change. And it's like, well, what's going on? It's like you need <laughs> um, start somewhere, you know, and mm-hmm. start making changes and keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. And, you know, in a few years, you'll be like, how did I ever go there? You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And um, no, I, I think that's a I think that's a good response. And I really only have. Um, I mean, I, I have a lot more questions I could ask, but there's there's one more question um, that I want to ask before we wrap this episode up. And essentially, it, it's going back to this bill that we opened the episode with. So this bill that uh, was passed in Canada that's essentially saying you can no longer uh, tell someone to stop being gay, right? And And I think you and I would both agree that essentially what this bill is doing is number one, obviously it's asking us to deny the Bible, deny that, um, that the Bible tells us the truth. Right. But then the other thing it's asking us to do is it's actually, um, and I don't know how many people would come to this conclusion on their own. Certainly not, um, you know, non-Christian, certainly not unbelievers. They would never come to this conclusion, but by, having Canada ask their, or well, not ask their citizens, tell their citizens, you will be punished if you speak out against homosexuality. Essentially what they're doing is they're asking Christians to not love their neighbors anymore, right? They're asking uh, Christians to not tell their neighbors the truth that what will happen if they continue to live in unrepentant sin is they will spend eternity in hell and there's no escape um, uh, from God's punishment you know, when, once you're in hell, once he's sent you there. And, um, so I say all that to ask you, you know, I, I think it seems pretty clear that we, um, are supposed to tell Christians, I mean, I'm sorry, not tell Christians. We are supposed to, uh, uh, tell people who are, who are gay, who are attracted to the same sex that they need to stop. But when you add in, um, a bill like this from the government. We know, obviously, you know, the, if, and even if you weren't aware, the last two years should have made it aware that there are actually verses in the Bible that tell us that we are supposed to obey our government, right? Um, so when the government starts introducing a bill like this one that's essentially outlawing speaking out against homosexuality, what, what is the Christian supposed to do at that point? They're basically given an ultimatum saying, hey, you either obey what the government has said or you, or you continue to speak out against this thing that you know God says is wrong. So, so what is the Christian supposed to do? Are they supposed to respect uh, what the government is saying? Kind of like uh, because of verses like uh, the passage in Romans 13, or are they supposed to ignore these? What, what should the Christian be doing? I think part of what we need to do, just related to just picking it, um, a phrasing you said, you know, it's obviously we should be telling gay people they need to stop. I would just say, well, I think we need to, I think if we accept that gay is a thing that, that we've lost the argument. And so I think it would be better for us to use if we can, and it's, it's very difficult to do so, but just use moral categories. You're not a gay person. You're a, you're a, an individual who, uh, is tempted internally towards, you know, um, sodomy or if you're talking about a man. So you, you, that's not who you are. You're not gay. You're Mm -hmm. a person tempted towards this and who, if you act on it, then you're a sodomite or something like that. Mm -hmm. 
So you're telling them to quit engaging in the behavior and you're telling them to repent of the poll, you know, essentially is what you're doing. But then what if the government, Romans 13 tells us to, what, what, you know, what if, what if the government says, hey, you're not allowed to do that anymore? What do you do? Mm-hmm. I think you're in, you're in a clear situation where, you, you know, Peter says we must obey God rather than men. If you charge us to stop, you know, um, speaking whatever the Bible tells us to speak, you know, at a certain point you just say, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here and there's a master that's above you and whatever authority you have doesn't extend to the authority God's given me. And God, authority God's given to me is to declare the whole counsel of God. And, and, you know, honestly, you don't have the authority to tell me that I'm not allowed to speak what the Bible says as far as that goes. And, and I don't really think that, that – I don't think it's a very complicated moral calculation as far as that goes. Like I don't think it's a very – this is just a clear example of – uh, of a situation where the government has overreached, and I think the problem is you're living in a society that, you know, it's funny with all the lockdowns and everything else that have happened over the past few years. When I was in seminary, and I think we talked about this, I mean, essentially, you have all the pastors for years and years who were asked, hey, at what point should you disobey the government? And you know, the the time was, well, you know, if they tell you you can't go to church, they tell you you can't evangelize, or or if they tell you, I mean, all, the answer has always even been, you know, added to that. If they tell you you can't speak against homosexuality or something, then you just say, I'm sorry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have the authority. But then what's going to happen is if that does happen in America, we'll see, you know, we'll see who, who are the individuals with courage and who aren't. And that's maybe where Canada is at and we should be praying for them because this will reveal the state of the pastors there. You know, what kind of pastors are you? Are you the pastors who are willing to throw – the kind of guys who are willing to get thrown in jail? Are you going to rejoice when you're kind of worthy to suffer for the name of Christ? Or at the moment that it looks like you may have to suffer, you're going to run yeah, with your tail in between your legs and say it's not loving and, you know, all that. I think you're – we're in that – we may be in that scenario soon, hopefully not, Lord mm-hmm. willing not. But if we are, then, you know, you wouldn't be unjust. We're putting us in it, but if we are, then you know we'll, we'll know very quickly who's who, as far as that goes. Yeah. Um. So, you know, obviously, we spent about an hour and a half talking about this. Uh, so, hopefully, for most people, it's probably pretty clear by now. But just in case it's not for some people, you know, what what's the answer in terms of should Christians counsel gays to straighten up? Uh, and marry a member of the opposite sex, uh, you know, what, what's your answer to that? Well, I think what's, I think what's complicated about that is like the second part of that is, is was, (laughs) and we may not have talked about this. I almost kind of forgot about the second half. Yeah. The second half of that is the thing that we might not have addressed yet. And so it's one thing to, I think the one, it's one thing to say, okay, you know, uh, straighten up or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what Rosario Butterfield and Jackie Hill Perry and Sam Arroyo, what they find so mortally offensive by the idea of straighten up is they're engaging in a straw man and they're basically saying, you know, um, like what you'll hear with these with these uh, indiv- these former, you know, former gay people um, who are put forward as experts on the subject now, what, what you'll hear is like um, 
some sort of straw man condemnation of the entire project as if it like Christianity is being reduced in some simplistic way to a message that um, heterosexuality is godliness, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things they'll say over and over and over again ad nauseum is, you know, heterosexuality is not godliness is what they'll say. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, um, huh? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Okay, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I know. Uh, yes. Okay. There are heterosexual people who are not godly. Sure. Right. Sure. Yes. But you know, homosexuality is obviously ungodly and will, is the kind of sin that will exclude you from you know the kingdom of God. So it's it's kind of like saying you know like if you have like we don't yet have the like the reverse word of uh, pedophilia, right? Mm-hmm. But if but if you counsel like pedophiles to quit desiring to rape children or something like that, and someone comes along and says like you know, um, adultphilia is not godliness, right? (laughs) 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 It's like well, that's an exercise in missing the point. Like we're not who said it was, you know, who's saying it was? We're just condemning a sin that's a sin. And telling them to, to turn from it and flee from it and repent of it because part of the message of the gospel is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Repent. Like here's the thing. So we're encouraging them to repent and it does no good to say, well, yeah, well, you know, heterosexual people are sinners too. It's like, well, obviously, yeah, yeah. But we're going to tell the heterosexual people or normal people there isn't – I mean everyone's heter, you know, heterosexual. <laughs> like there's no different orientations like that. Like, here's the thing. We're going to tell them to repent of every sin they commit to and all the ones they desire to commit to. Mm-hmm. So – and it is godliness to repent of sin, isn't it? Right? So like that's what they say. So like uh, – so the thing is, yes, I think we should counsel people to repent of not only the sins they commit but the sins they desire to commit mm-hmm. and the pulls that they feel towards sin. But then does that necessarily entail – does that necessarily entail that the homosexual – should straighten up and marry a member of the opposite sex, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, it does. Like it does. Okay. Absolutely it does. Okay. Like, like, Explain that a little bit. Um, well, if, uh, you know, homosexuality is not some fixed and immovable part of a person's orientation, like it's some uh, thing that's uh, uh, unable to be changed or anything else, then if you take away that as, as if it's a reality, then the reality is actually that God tells mankind to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. That's what God, that's God's instruction to mankind mm-hmm. is to be fruitful, to be multiplied, to fill the earth, and subdue it. And so uh, that that's, that's not just a command that, well, unless you feel attracted to men, right? And if you're a man who feels attracted to men, well, it's like, well, put to death what is earthly in you, this evil desire, right? And so the whole Bible gives you a put-off dynamic, and there's a put-on dynamic. You have to put off the wicked desires, put on the good desires. If a man is burning sexually, like with, with uh, desire, the Bible says it's better to marry than burn because marriage is meant to be a uh, – is marriage is fundamentally uh, meant – for human beings to be a help in dealing with sexual immorality. That's why it's there. So the Bible tells a, a couple, you know, don't deprive one another except for a limited time for the purpose of prayer, uh, but then come together quickly lest you be tempted uh, uh, because of your weakness, right? So uh, sexual sexual expression in the context of a covenant marriage is meant to be a source of safety and protection from an individual. And part of how you put off the evil desire is to put on the good desire. Now, immediately when you say that kind of thing, like the only way – I mean the reason why that feels so offensive is because 
like what everyone has basically accepted in some sort of mindless way is this identity, this homosexual identity is some sort of identity that is fixed and unmovable. And basically what they hear you to be saying when you say something along those lines is it's like, um, it's like, uh, well, you know, you're telling, uh, a person basically just, uh, well, you, you don't, you're not sexually attracted to women. So you're just going to have to, you know, Hold your nose and, you know, bear with it and do whatever you can, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, I, I think the whole, like, bisexual phenomenon and everything else, it, you know, it, we're playing by different rules at different <laughs> points in time. And so what are the rules, you know? Is, is, is sexual orientation fixed and immovable, like the homosexual uh, calculus, or is it like the new um, uh, uh, – you know, we're, we're with all the bisexual stuff, is it just fluid? You know, are you sexually fluid and it just changes and everything else? And I think the reality is that God made individuals to be sec, uh, sexually attracted to members of the opposite sex. And if you're not, then you need to deal with whatever issues that you need to deal with. Put off whatever evil sets of desires that you need to deal with. And it's possible to actually do that. And I would tell you that you need to pursue, you know, pursue the opposite of that and and I, and I obviously say that like you know probably it would be unwise for the uh, practicing sodomite to convert and then the next day um, if he has zero attraction to women the next day you know just go get married at Vegas or something like that <laughs> <laughs> in order to hopefully you know trial by fire you know you might want to try to work on get cleaning yourself up a little bit before you do that but at the same time, like yes, I think, I think, uh, contrary to what Butterfield and you know Hill Perry and Sam Albury are saying, there is more hope that such were some of you, and you can put to death these evil orientations, and that you can actually learn to repudiate it, and you can actually function in a normal way. And the lie of the you know the homosexual the ho- lie of, the homosexual lie is essentially you can't you know. And I think you have to trust by faith that God can cleanse you to the uttermost. As far as that goes, and mm-hmm. part of you know, part of how you know that, um, you know, it, I just it's it's absurd, you know, like um, it's absurd. I mean, they're they're you're living in a kind of society where now people are attracted to animals with bestiality and everything else, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and part of what happens there is that the more you give yourself over to depravity, the more levels of depravity and taboo things. You know, start to become normative, but I, there is hope that like you don't just. It's not like oh well, you were attracted to the animal that one time, you know, so therefore you can never be attracted to a woman again, you know. It's like that isn't the way it works. You know, <laughs> you, can, you can put off the deviant attractions, and you, you know, it may take some time to retrain you, you know. But it, I don't think it's like an overnight thing. But if you stop feeding these immoral attractions, they go away. They're not just going to stay there forever. Mm-hmm. If you keep on feeding them and if you put a wall around them and say, hey, you can't touch them, yeah, they may stay there, you know? Yeah. Um, like if you keep on running down that track, you know, you keep on running down that track um, as far as that goes. You know, I, I'm, I'm reminded of someone like Hugh Hefner uh, who, you know, was the guy who um, invented Playboy or whatever. And, um, you know, towards the end of his life, uh, he's kind of an old man who was unable to be like he'd given himself over to such you know immorality that he was unable to be um, attracted to women anymore. And essentially, you know, at the very end of it, you, you know, he's you know on the set, you know, with uh, 
all the depravity that's going on. He's uh, self-stimulating to gay porn because that's the only thing that could work for him anymore. And that's kind of what happens, you know, like if you give yourself over to certain levels of depravity, like you, you're training yourself in a deviant practice and you're fundamentally altering, you, you know, your sexual d- drive, but you can take it all back by God's grace. It may take some time, but you can, you can, you can, you know, you're not, um, there's no sin that we, you, that you can't be cleansed from. And despite the lies of psychology, these things aren't fixed and immovable. You can turn from them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, no, I, th- I think that's good. And, um, I think that's a good place for us to kind of end. I even think there might be some questions that even I still have that, uh, maybe we can work into like some midweek episodes, um, that maybe we could, uh, even, you know, flesh out a little more, or I, I have a few that I didn't even really necessarily get to that I think would be interesting to hear what you have to say on them. But, um, but for this episode, I, I think, I think that's kind of a, a good place for us to stop. And so, um, be, so be looking at, for those of you listening, be looking out for those midweek episodes and, um, and we'll see you guys again next time. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you have been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. We thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com. Now, Go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move.